the cool thing about about that is like all the trails and stuff and Lawrence that's all I'm right. say. And dude, if that big old boy gets some pegs, I'll do. Yeah. I'll I'll keep my hands <laughs> on his shoulders. <laughs> dude, he keeps you, me safe. You'll have to put your arms around his waist. Oh, I'll do whatever whatever I got to do. I don't even know if my arms could fit around, but dude, I'll do everything I can. Um. So James, if you're listening. Gage is talking about riding with you, um, like on the trails and stuff. He he doesn't want his own bike. He wants to ride with you. So with you, James, and only you, James. Yeah. <laughs> we talk about an awesome dude, though. Yeah. And uh, I was you know reaching out to him uh, right uh, last Friday whenever um, his podcast was, was released and stuff, and you could tell like I you know I just told me hey I man I just you know started listening to your podcast and he was immediately you know a little you know like I guess which we all even I was with my own uh, self-conscious and stuff like that and and then I was telling him like you know man like you know I'm I'm getting choked up and teary-eyed and everything and he was like oh man I'm so sorry I'm so sorry I'm so sorry I'm like no dude like this is good like this is what you want like making a grown man cry well it's Halfway grown, hopefully, man. Cry. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the best things in life is making men cry. It is. That sounded. Yeah, <laughs> dude. Sounded... We're gonna edit that out. <laughs> Gosh, that's that an was... NWA lyric. <laughs> <laughs> okay, dude. All right, so uh, we can get started anytime you want. Then. Yeah, man. Uh, first of all, just super happy to be back on here. Uh, this is the vision Jared's had for. It's been a while now, and just seeing just how Jared is, moment his mindset on something, he's gonna do it. And with the help of this lovely, wonderful, beautiful wife, Jen, uh, which I would say is the the mastermind behind it all, one hundred percent. Because you and I, man, we'd be hammering nails into our hands at this point. <laughs> like we just we'd be playing around with crowns and stuff. And if it wasn't for her, but being able to allow us to and allow you, like to you know, use that creative and that you know the love uh that god has given you for others and hearing others testimonies and stuff which is crazy and just for all the listeners i didn't know what we were talking about today i was stressed out before like all night thinking like okay i gotta be on it you know mentally you know i chugged a nitro cold brew from starbucks right before this because <laughs> i wanted that my, my brain clicking and when i walked in uh you know jared um thankfully he's gonna be sharing his testimony which you guys i mean you're going to be on the edge of your seats the whole entire time. Um, so I'm just beyond excited and um, being able to have the opportunity to step in, you know, your shoes and, per, and per, you know, per se that being able to interview you and ask you the right questions and everything. I'm just beyond fortunate and blessed and I feel unworthy for it, but that's how God is, you know, so it's really cool. Well, why don't you... Uh, tell people what they're listening to and do all that part. Say, hey, I'm Yo, Gage. yo, yo, yo. This is Gage Lechner. <laughs> Guys, I am so pumped. I'm so thrilled um, to be able to have this opportunity. Um, this is the Almost Home Podcast. Yes. Um, soon to be, I mean, right up there with the Joe Rogan experience. Yes. Um, if anything, it's be more raw, more real. Um, and sharing testimonies um, just of what, of what our amazing and wonderful, graceful God um, has done um, in, in each of our lives, um, and especially with being able to have the host of the show, be able to share his testimonies to where you guys can relate, you know, with every word that he says in some sort of way. Um, it's going to be awesome. I'm really excited. 
so I've I've kind of held off on giving mine. Um, I didn't want to start off like right out of the shoot with mine because I was like, why would someone have a a podcast just to talk about themselves? I guess it's probably pretty common people do that. I mean, maybe celebrities, mm-hmm. yeah, not like me. A little narcissistic. <laughs> yeah, and as I've sat here with the four previous guests and like, yeah, I get a little bit nervous. Like I don't want to sound goofy or whatever, but. Um, now that it's like I'm going to be giving my testimony, it's a whole different level mm-hmm. of like the sweat that's on my back already. <laughs> I'm glad I'm wearing two shirts. <laughs> Got the white beater on. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so I want to start, I guess, with I, I born and raised in Wellsville. Um, both my parents' families are from Wellsville. My, my mom and my dad grew up like a block away from each other. Um, so they knew each other their entire lives and both families had, um, like as they got older, my dad and then my uncles on my mom's side, there was always a, um, like an outlaw kind of aspect to their lives. My dad was known, um, for getting a little bit of trouble. My uncles were known for being in and out of trouble and nothing major. It's not like they were, um, you know, terrible people or anything right. they just like to like to party like to fight yeah. you know that sort of thing and i i grew up hearing all kinds of stories um about mainly my dad i'd, I'd hear stories and people say oh you know back in 70 whatever your dad did this your dad did that and then i'd go home and and he would bring the story down because you know it, it always be embellished and he'd say well it wasn't quite like that and kind of line me out on what really happened and that kind of always made me have um something to kind of live up to right i mean like, like when m- most kids you know have like you know marilyn monroe or like you know <laughs> spider-man on their walls like you had a portrait of your dad yep. your walls. yeah yeah i i took a family picture and i cut out everyone else <laughs> <laughs> no not not really there was a there was a picture when i was a little kid my grandma had and it was my dad no, it wasn't my dad. It was the guy who taught him kickboxing oh my. with Chuck Norris. And I can't remember. It was like like no. another like 70s famous kickboxer, like Thunderfoot Thurman or something <laughs> like that. It was like, um, it was legit. My dad ran in circles when he was, he was a competitive fighter. So he knew. No way. Yeah. Like okay. he didn't know Chuck Norris, but Bob Boggs, which um, Olathe Kinecon Academy is still a thing yeah. where dad ta- uh, learned um, I want to speak they, they knew too. they knew Chuck Norris really well. That's amazing. But this isn't about Chuck Norris. No, it's not. This is <laughs> about somebody even tougher <laughs> yeah. and cooler. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I kind of grew up like I, I heard all kinds of stories about that, and then I'd hear stories about my my uncles, which they were on my mom's side, and I I remember two my my two uncles are are pretty different. Um, both of them. Both of them are, are awesome. I love them both. Um, one of them, like into sports, huge Chiefs fans. Um, Royals, you know, he can he can tell you all kinds of stuff about Chiefs all the way back to wherever. My other uncle, um, he's always as as long as I can remember, he's always like riding up on cool vehicles and and motorcycles. Yeah. He's had so many different Harleys and stuff, and and I remember one time. Um, he was locked up in, in county jail, and I remember my mom taking his wife, then wife, 
uh, to see him. And we waited as she went in and did visitation. And then he would come up uh, to the windows, go back up to a cell, and look out the windows, mm-hmm. and wave down to us. And I'd see my uncle up there in his in his orange jumpsuit, um, looking down and waving and stuff. And I was just like, "Oh, that's Uncle Raymond up there," you know, he's like killing him. Yeah, he just <laughs> right and. Little many many years later, I was actually in that same cell. That was pretty crazy. Oh my gosh. Uh, but I, I remember going to Walmart after that, and they had like little race car suits for Halloween or whatever. One of them was bright orange, and I was just like, I didn't, I didn't associate with race car <laughs> private. I was like, I can get a, this bright orange suit, just like Uncle Ray, and just I was, I was pumped about it, yeah. and like that in my. Of course, my mom was like, "No, you're not." She's, she's just not crying. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's kind of how I grew up. So, um, wow. and like my dad, he drank, but he wasn't a drunk. He wasn't a drinker. You know, like I can't really think of many times seeing him drunk as a kid. Right. I, I mean, him and his buddies drank beer or whatever, but it was like um, hanging out and drinking beers. Yeah. And that's kind of what I seen. So that's what I started doing about. It was specifically the summer between my eighth grade and my freshman year is when I first was like, now I'm going to start drinking beer. And I, I did then, which I don't know how I stomached the taste of beer as a, what, 14, 13-year-old, oh, whatever gosh. it was. It all tastes bad but, uh, at that age. Yeah, I, I did. I started drinking then, um, and it became pretty common. Like, I was drinking a lot. By the time I was a freshman, I was, I would say I was – borderline alcoholic and not long after that i was a full-blown alcoholic probably sophomore year maybe um in high school i you know i was already drinking and stuff and then after becoming a pretty accomplished beer drinker i got a driver's license and i was like well what two better things can you start doing i mean even better so, do it pbr and uh and chevrolet yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I spent most of my weekends um especially my junior senior year country cruising back roads with buddies We'd get a case of beer or two and throw in the cooler. I mean, we were 15, 16 years old cruising around. And this is in the 90s, too. DUIs weren't, not like they are now, but they still weren't like they were in the 70s when no one got DUIs, you know. Um, But we never really got in trouble either. I got, um, like I had cops stop me, take your your beer, that kind of stuff, and send you home. Right. and it was kind of like a no harm, no foul type thing. My dad owned a, a street sweeping business, and I was always, on the weekends, I was up at the crack of dawn going with him. So I I learned pretty uh, pretty young on, like, you play hard, you party hard, you work hard. Yeah. Um, and my parents, I don't think they knew. I, I'm sure they assumed I was drinking beer because it was high school and in right. a country town. Right. Um, it's like every, but yeah, they, yeah, turn on 94.1. Like, that's... Yeah. that's <laughs> Every oh, country station, is, every dude. radio song, yeah. 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 Um, I, I know they didn't know to what extent because my parents wouldn't have, you know, they wouldn't have put up with it by any means. Um, I wasn't the one that, my parents wouldn't give me alcohol. They weren't mm. okay with me drinking. When I did get caught, I got in trouble. Yeah. But it didn't happen very often. Um, but then, so I, I get out of high school and everything. I was actually, I was in, I was in school my senior year, um, I, I usually skipped the first couple hours of school. I was good at taking tests. So even if my regular grades weren't good, if I was there to take a test, I carried it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know this all that, but I just 
good guesser or lucky or whatever. <laughs> but um, I usually skipped the first few hours of school, and I showed up around lunch, and I would be um, out drinking. Like I would go out. We drink a lot of peppermint schnapps in the mornings because the taste, of, like the smell of it on your breath, would taste like mouthwash or or right. toothpaste or whatever. So. I did that. There were a few times we'd be out, like, we still had beer in the cooler from the weekend, so we'd drink beer before school, and then then drink the mouthwash or the schnapps or whatever. But I came into school one day, and there's an army recruiter sitting there. I was like, cool, let's talk to this guy. I don't yeah. want to go to class. Yeah. So I go up and just start talking to him, and he started talking about the army and army reserves and this and that, and I was like, I could go one week in a month, do the whole army reserve thing, and it... I could go to college and blah, blah, blah. So the tune's my favorite movie. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. So I was like, cool, I'll do it. And so I signed up for the army oh, and it was in March of, uh, 2001. Yeah. So my senior year, I'm about to graduate. I remember going home and was just like, Oh yeah, you know, it was a good day. I did this. I did that. I signed up for the army <laughs> and, but this is pre nine 11. There was really right. nothing going on. Right. So, I like I, I'm pretty sure my mom wasn't happy about it, yeah. but at the same time, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, you're going to war, um, so not a big deal. July came around. Um, well, before that, in June, we graduated high school, and we graduated in May. I'm out with some buddies. We're out on a parked on a side road drinking beer, and a cop's coming up, or a car's coming up. You see headlights. And one of his jokes that it's being a cop. And sure enough, it pulls up and it really was a cop. And as once we seen it was a cop, we're like dropping cans and throwing them in the field and everything. The beer cans and beer bottles. And the cops get out and they're like, what do you do? You think we can't see the shiny cans flying <laughs> through the air? Like, what are you guys right. doing? And they're like, do you have, we're all underage. There was four of us there. Uh, they're like, are one of you guys sober? One of the guys that was in my senior class, he just got his license back after a DUI. So he was like... Yeah, I'm 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 sober. I you know showed his driver's license. They made sure he was sober, and they're like, "All right, the rest of you pick up those beer cans." And so picked up the beer cans. My um, my dad, since he had a uh, company, he had cell phones that like the employees use on the weekends. I'd take them and stuff, so he could get a hold of me. Yeah. Um, the cell phone starts ringing, and it's my dad. Uh. He being he was also the fire chief. He heard it on the scanner. And he's like, if you go to jail tonight, if you get a ticket, whatever, we're not going on your senior trip. So my senior trip was dad and I, he had two Harleys, an old shovel head and an Evo um, soft tail. So we didn't get any trouble, luckily, because we still got to go on that senior trip. We jump, I graduate, we jump on Harleys and take off out west. Go down to the Grand Canyon, oh, up through Las Vegas and just, just dad and I on Harleys. You yeah. Know? I was 18. Yeah. You know, it was a blast. And I'd always loved Harleys. Before that, you know, and that kind of will get back into my love for motorcycles yeah. after that. But um, so July 4th, everyone else is partying, hanging out. I go home, go to bed early because my recruiter is going to be there at four o'clock July 5th to pick me up, take me to the airport. Smart man. So, yeah, probably the only time that I turned down a party yeah, in high like, school. That's amazing. Um, I remember some of my friends, Josh, uh, Tristan, Jackie, a few of them came to the house that night. I was already in bed. And they came to my house. Was like, dude, you're leaving tomorrow, and like, you know, the whole I'm gonna miss you, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So they left, go to bed, get up, go to base training. Um, base training was awesome. I I, I graduated um, outstanding soldier of the cycle. So out of our company is 240 people, yeah. and they 
had one female and one male honor grad, basically. And where was it at? Uh, Fort Jackson, South Carolina. Oh, sweet. So, well, not so sweet. We didn't get to go out. and oh, it, was just, okay. it was just hot and humid. We yeah. didn't go do anything. <laughs> yeah. So while I'm in basic training, uh, a couple weeks before graduation, 9-11 happens. Oh, my gosh. So I'm in the field. Like, we're doing um, training and stuff in the field, and they tell us this one morning. Like, oh, the towers were hit. It was terrorists, this and that. And I'm like, yeah, right. Like, that never happened. Like, yeah. They're just saying that so that so that we'll train hard. They're going to have opposing yeah. forces come yeah. in. and we're gonna have weird a, motivation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, that's kind of odd. You probably shouldn't say stuff like that, drill yeah, sergeant. come on, dude. <laughs> so, like, a couple of days later, I seen a newspaper. And I was like, oh, this is legit. That really happened. So, well, so like, you guys didn't have TVs where you could see it live? Like, oh, then. no. No, we were out in the field for days. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we, I think it was... Uh, I think it was like a three-day um, FTX that we were doing. And there was a name for it. It's been, I mean, that's 20-some years ago. I can't yeah. remember now what uh, what the name of the what we were doing. But anyway, yeah, go to the Army. Come back home, um, buy a vehicle, hang out, because I was in the reserves. So come back home, um, get a job. I was working night shift, and my buddy Chris worked night shift with me, and we'd buy beer every night. We'd get off at 2.30 in the morning. And in Lenexa and find Country Roads home yeah. so we could drink every night, stop at Waffle House on Thursday nights. You know, course. that was our thing. And um, I bought a blazer, and it was a 94 blazer, the small, uh-huh. smaller ones, you know, and had a bunch of buddies in it. There were, let's see, every seat was full with people in it, and there was someone sitting in the back in between coolers. Oh, no. And we went clear to Lewisburg to a party, hanging out. Little scuffle breaks out. I get into a little fight with a guy. Nothing, nothing major. Um, so I was like, "All right, come on, let's go." Before there was five of us from Wellsville and all these other people from a much bigger school. So, little thing happens. We jump in the car. We're headed back from Lewisburg to Wellsville. I'm going uh, country roads, and my speedometer when it hit 105, it clicked out. It would like it had a governor at 105. All the way home, it was just bouncing off that governor. Oh, I just kept it floored. Gravel yeah. roads. Um, was out by Hills of the Lake, come around a corner, go airborne, hit a stop sign. And when I say hit a stop sign, I hit the sign. Oh my God. Not the post. Take it out, go down, up through a field, come back down, back on the road and just keep on going. Everybody's fine. Everybody's hollering, woo, you know, it was like. We were all hammered, you know? And, and the 18, guy in the 19 back years old. CTE now. No, he was cool, too. <laughs> yeah. We get it all the way back into town to my buddy's house. We get out, and part of my bumper, you know, it's a plastic bumper cover, was torn off. And I was like, man, that cover, it cost $125 was to get that part again, and then it cost to paint it. And the reason I knew, a few weeks earlier, I went through a ditch with another buddy going through a field and tore off the other side. Yeah. So I was like, I got to go back and get that part. I go back by myself now. Everyone else gets out. They're still partying. I'm doing like 30 mile an hour, hit washboards and roll my vehicle. Oh my God. Throw stuff out everywhere. The the roof of it's crushed and everything. So I get out. I call my dad. Hey, I wrecked. You know, blah, blah. He's, are you okay? That kind of stuff. He comes to, he comes out there. And by then I called my buddies too. They came out. They took the coolers. We all searched around for all the empty beer cans and beer bottles and stuff that were thrown from my vehicle um they all leave and dad's like you know you're probably going to jail like yeah i get it you know i was 19 you know i was i was hammered um (laughs) you're just soft and compassionate at that point yeah Yeah, it's yeah yeah it it is is what it is exactly (laughs) so i'm like yeah cool you know it's gonna happen um 
and I, I think a part of me at that time, like in the back of my head, was like, finally. Yeah. You know, because... It's like street cred as a rapper. Yeah, exactly. exactly. You're not getting yeah. listened to. Yeah, go to jail. For and a there's a lot of small town Kansas white rappers, so hey, yeah, right. I wanted to be one <laughs> yeah. of them. Um, but yeah, I was kind of like, I'm finally... I mean, I didn't. I wasn't looking forward to it, but at the same time, I was like, I kind of want uh, a tattoo. Yeah, <laughs> a, a terrible one. Yeah. Um, so, let's see. I uh, the cops show up, and my dad starts talking to him, and they're like, "Hey, you okay?" I said, "Yeah." They said, "Well, what were you doing out?" You know, this is two o'clock in the morning or so. I said, "Oh, I'm dating a girl that lives up the road. We're in the middle of nowhere." All yeah. the cop had to do was look around and see there was no, <laughs> you know, yeah. and uh, I said, oh, I was just, I, I must have fallen asleep. I work nights normally. I haven't been, been to bed and I, I rolled it and he's like, okay, well, as long as you're all right. And then the tow truck driver who rented a building from my dad was like, Jared, get over here. He's like, you smell, you need to stay away from that cop. So I helped him hook up the vehicle on the, on the rollback. Got in the truck with my dad. We waved to the cop, and I leave. Wow. I buy uh, another truck. Um, this time, it's a red Z71 that we called the Red Scare. Yeah. And I drove that thing like like I was evil Knievel. I did everything in that truck. Always, always hammered. Hanging out with my buddies. We were always drinking. Um, anytime, they're like, oh, this can't be done. That can be done. They'd be like, call Stoney. Yeah. Come on, get the Red Scare. Let's go. Yeah. So we were coming back from a party in, in Osawatomie one night, and somebody's like, oh, that ditch is too steep. You can't run over that mailbox. I'm like, well, sure I can. So I go down into this ditch, and it's, it was steep, steep enough that after I ran over the mailbox, the truck fell over on its side. And so it's just kind of like laying on, its, on, the, on the right side. It's down in the ditch. We get out, and there were two other cars of other people that were at this party with us. Um, and I was like, all right, everybody get in here. Cops are going to show up. Everybody needs to leave. Well, I'm with the Hain brothers are both of them there. And they're like, no, we're not leaving. Shut up. Hain brothers. Yeah. <laughs> and this is, this is how awesome those guys are. Um, Jared and Justin are like, we're going to stay here with you. You, you know, we were with you when this happened, blah, blah, blah. Jared was another vehicle. Justin was with me. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense, guys. Yeah. I'm going to jail. When this <laughs> when this happens, a cop's going to show up. I'm going to go to jail. Yeah. There's no reason for you. We're all underage. There's no reason for you guys to go to jail, too. At this point, you're really wanting to go to jail. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they're they're like they're arguing about it. Like we're out there arguing, yelling at each other. You're we're staying. We're gonna. And I'm like, no, you're not going to yeah. stay. I can go to jail by myself. I don't need your help. Um, so finally, they all get into vehicles and leave. Um, Cops show up, so because whoever's mailbox I ran over up their driveway, they it woke them up in the middle of the night. Hear all the yelling. They were they called the cops and were like, "There's people out here. Their address. There's people out here." Um, they thought there was a fight. Like teens uh, met up for a big fight. Um, so cop shows up. He gets out to the sheriff's officer. He gets out and he kind of looks and he says, "Jared." Of course. I say, "Yeah." He goes, "How drunk are you?" I said, "I'm not gonna lie and say his name and say." I'm pretty hammered. And he goes, I think I'm going to go to the other end of the county. You know, if someone else shows up, you're going to jail. I said, yeah, I figured. And he got in his car and he drove off. By then, tow truck shows up with my dad, hook up to the truck, pulled onto its wheels. And my dad was livid. He was so mad. He's yelling at me and the tow truck driver. It's a different tow truck driver this time. Yeah, you're keeping them in business. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> he 
he says, you know, and people called me Stony people, and I got that from my dad. My dad was the original Stony. He looks and says, Stony, I remember you flipping a few trucks, a few cars back in your day, and it kind of like calmed my dad. He wasn't. It wasn't like everything went away. He was still very mad. Yeah. It didn't make it right what I was doing, you know. So I get in the truck, fire it up, let you know, let all the oil settle back down where it's supposed to be, fire it up, and drive it home. Wow. And so I sold it. Um, got another truck. Got a really good job, and I was working for this really good company that your brother's getting ready to go work for. Yeah. And they and. Uh, April of 2005, I had a brand new three-quarter ton oh um, power stroke, four-door long bed. Your truck. And this planet. was this was their truck. They they because I, I ran equipment and material. Yeah. So there and somehow through all this, I kept my driver's license. Um, they well because I'd never been arrested for anything I do, had done. Right. Nothing ever came of it. So I get. Uh, um, get this third vehicle, and it's a brand new. You know, back then, their brand new truck like that's probably sixty grand. Yeah. They ordered it. It came in, in April and August. I smoke a bridge with it, total it. Uh, right on the edge of town. Like I said, my dad was fire chief. My mom was an EMT on the fire department. First fire truck on the scene when it gets called in. My parents and they see the truck with the name of the company on the side of it, totaled, and. Like, my mom, it just, like, she starts getting sick because she just thinks, like, the worst. This truck was bad. It, it, it totaled a three-quarter ton power yeah. stroke, you know? Yeah. There were parts spewed out across the road. Um, and that, like, that one hurt a lot. Like, I, it should have been rock bottom if I were smarter. It should have been, like, at that point, I need to change what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that time, I did. Finally got arrested. They cuffed me. Took me to jail. In jail, I, I didn't call my parents. I called the Haynes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I called their house. Their mom answers. I'm like, hey, it's it's like 6 o'clock in the yeah. morning at this point. Yeah. And yeah, I'm like, hey, what you doing? Yeah. Is is Jared there? <laughs> and she says, uh, yeah, what's going on? Because who calls, you know, and right. at this time of the morning or whatever. And I was like, well, I need someone to pick me up from jail. And so they come and get me, um, take me home. The owner of that business showed up to my house, and he's like, uh, "You know, obviously we've got to let you go." He's like, "But he, but he helped me out. He he kept me in a job, just not for his company, so I still get paid. But being in the reserves, I was getting re- ready to deploy to Afghanistan. Yeah. So because when I when they were gonna arrest me and all that stuff, they gave me the breathalyzer, and I said I wasn't gonna take the breathalyzer, and they said, "Well." Uh, if you don't take the breathalyzer, you're going to use your lose your license for a year. And wow, like immediately, like that. Yeah, just like that. You refuse a breathalyzer, you lose your license for a year. And I said, well, I'll be in Afghanistan for a year. And I literally, I like give the cop the finger. I'm standing there talking to him. Give the finger. I'm like, I don't need it. Give him the finger. They cuff me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, that's where that goes from there. Yeah. <laughs> and um, um, so yeah, from there I. Not long after that, we ship off, get deployed to Pakistan and then Afghanistan. Um, and at this point in my life, I'd never, like my family didn't go to church. Um, mm-hmm. At one point when I was a kid, I went to church some, um, just by myself. Really? I, yeah, I was like, I was probably like 
fifth grade or so, yeah. and I just start walking from my house up to the up to the church here in town just by like myself. Was like a buddy or somebody that going there or something that like, like what kind of do you think gave you like the I don't know to, to do that. I don't know why I did it. Like I had friends there from that were from school, yeah. but it wasn't like it wasn't the friends I was with all the time that I hung out with all the time. Like wow, it wasn't because. I was going with a friend. I just kind of started going. Yeah. And I got baptized then. Really? Uh, yeah. I was like, I want to say I was, I was probably fifth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got baptized and like I, I started reading the Bible a little bit then, but right after that, you know, not long after that's middle school and uh, junior high, whatever you want to call it when yeah. I started drinking and stuff. So it was, yeah. was kind of short lived. Yeah. Uh, so I go to Afghanistan and I was a, when I first went to the military, uh, when I joined the army, I joined as a cook. And when we're getting ready to deploy, I'm like, well, for one, they didn't need cooks. They um, have, it's all like contracted out to companies for food and that kind of stuff. And I was like, well, I'm not going to go do something like be in supply or, or whatever else. Like if I want to go, I want to do something, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, I was in an aviation unit, Chinook Helicopters, and they needed volunteers for door gunners. And I was like, Phew. Mean, that sounds fun. And you're like installing yeah. microwaves in the gunner. And yeah. You're, you're making everybody hot pockets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, had a little hot plate and all that good stuff. <laughs> Who wants an omelet? Yeah. Um, hey, is this, is this spit brass in my salad? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I was like, I'll, I'll be a door gunner. So, uh, we go to first Pakistan. There's a giant uh, earthquake in Pakistan in 05. And so we deployed there to do like humanitarian aid. Yeah. And that's where I kind of learned the ropes of, of the, the helicopters flying and doing all the stuff. And it was awesome. Like yeah. helicopters are just the coolest thing. Yeah. Uh, so then we go from Pakistan, then we're going to start our, um, our tour in Afghanistan. And there's a, it's a whole different ball game because Pakistan is quote unquote friendly. Um, right. It's Pakistan. Like yeah. it's a it's a terrorist breeding ground. This is two thousand and five. Oh, yeah. You know, so this Anything is with stand in it, dude. It's like yeah, it's it's a terrible place. Beautiful. Yeah. One hundred percent beautiful. And the toughest, hardest people I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Because uh, there's this giant earthquake that tears up all these little villages. These some of these villages have never seen electricity. They've never seen TV. They've never seen. All they know is what they know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like. So it was, it was kind of cool then. Um, and there's like no like see. grass there, or like farmland there. Or yeah, anything, right? yeah, there is. Oh, there is. It's dude the the way they can um, run irrigation and stuff, and they like in the side of a mountain they'll crop out like flat spots, and it I, I can't explain it. It's, it's just amazing what they can do with with the most primitive tools. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I just it's I picture like Tatooine of Star Wars, like that's whatever, and I picture Pakistan or Afghanistan or anything. No, it's there's just, lots of mountains, lots yeah. of beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was awesome. Yeah, uh, but like we would be delivering stuff to rebuild homes. Like I remember one time specifically, we had a pallet of sheet metal, and it was it was a like two pallets long one pallet wide and we could load them up on our, on our helicopters and go drop them off places, food and water, um, building materials, that kind of stuff. I seen these two guys, they instantly cut the straps on the, um, on the pallet of, it was corrugated still. And they start unloading it. Well, one of them cuts up his hands cause it's sheet metal, you know? Right. The other guy had on gloves. He took off one glove and gave it to the other guy so they could each have one gloved hand and one cut up hand. That's pretty cool. And, 
they instantly just start handing out to all these people and, and it was like they they took what they needed, each person took what they needed and they yeah. left. A few days later, we're like as a crow flies, it probably wasn't that far, but we're talking over mountains. Yeah. I see two men carrying that steel. A couple days later, they're what? still trying to get back to wherever. Oh my gosh. How they I and I don't know if people would go around because uh, we weren't the only unit there, so right. there there may have been people going around saying, "Hey, if you can be at this location at this time, there's going to be with interpreters stuff. There's going to be metal here. If you go to this place, there's going to be flour and oil. You go to this place, there'll be I don't know how that worked. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was that was eye opening seeing how other people lived and how how good we have it. You know, in the United States, we're getting we're getting kind of sidetracked on this, but hey, it's your story, man. Um, so then we go on to Afghanistan. And like I said, a whole different ball game. Yeah. Um, now people are stealing gloves from each other. <laughs> it's like we're It's a constant threat, and yeah. we're we're in a place where seventy five percent of the people that see us want us dead. They want to kill us. They want us out of their country. Right. Um, and were you scared? Like, be honest. I like were you? There were. If I'm being one hundred percent honest, at at times. Yeah. I think at that time, so I I had done so much stuff, wrecking vehicles, right, getting arrested and let go. You used um, to those high, like, all this stuff, traumatic experiences and stuff. But and, and nothing ever happened to me. Right. Like I rolled vehicles and stuff and walked away. I never got hurt in any of my wrecks. I yeah. never, like all the stuff I did, I never got hurt. I never, nothing ever stuck on my record or anything. Because um, you're trained by Chuck Norris, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, That's crazy. So I, I was just so cocky at that time, like yeah. so arrogant that nothing's yeah. ever going to happen to me. Right. And, you know, I'm, um, I'm just, I'm, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Whatever I do, I'm just going to be good at it and I'm the best mm-hmm. and, um, so nothing's going to happen. Yeah. And the crew, not only that, but the crew that I, um, was on a helicopter with, uh, Jeff Mason for a while, Dave Hudson and Dave Hudson switched out with Drew Wellborn. Shut up. Um, those guys were all studs too. Um, Dave and Drew had both had previous deployments, um, so they kind of knew their way around. Jeff and I was our first deployments, and he and I were really tight. Um, Jeff and I were to this day we're still tight, um, but we we were really good at what we did, and because um, there were there were mounted machine guns, two forty belt fed machine guns, in the left window behind the left pilot and the right door behind the right pilot, and then. Sometimes, depending on what the mission was, we'd have either one mounted on the tail or you'd just be back there with, uh, like, an M4, mm-hmm. um, which wasn't good if you're, like, trying to fly away from something <laughs> and shoot. Like, <laughs> it's worthless. You wait for yeah. the Apaches to come in. But um, but I, I was always I was always just so cocky. We're going to get in and out of there, and it's not going to be a big deal. Um, but the, the unit that was there before us, the, the Chinook unit, as they were leaving – Right before they left, they took some some hits. A um, couple birds got shot down, um, and it was just kind of like one of those things where it was like it was towards the end of their deployment and that sort of thing. They kind of got complacent, maybe a little bit, um, but it was when we were coming in, and so it was like, you know, we're we're cool. We're not gonna. And there is some overlap mm-hmm. uh, because they've got to train the new the new pilots on right. where stuff is. The the crews want to train the new crews on what to look for, um, you know, that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah, you can't find it in a textbook. It's, it's right. like guys, the two experienced guys. Yeah, for sure. Um, so 
the, the, this one, we go out and we're flying with this, it was a National Guard unit out of Nevada. They were, they were put together. Um, some of them were out of Nevada, some were out of Oregon. And they take us out. And so we're all just kind of like shadowing the people they were in. It was my first time and we, we load up with a bunch of rangers in the daytime. And it's a, it's a daytime mission. We go out on a mountaintop, which is more like a hilltop. Mm-hmm. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't a high peak, and it was all grassy. It wasn't rocky and everything. We land. All the rangers go running out. They form up a perimeter, and we take off. And from that second, I was like, this is the coolest thing that I've ever done and ever will do. Yeah. Um, because it's just like the, it was just like the movies. When you're leading up to it, you go through all these briefings where you go into a big room. They had big flat screens hanging up on the wall. They're pointing out high value targets, and they do rock drills, a big table of sand, and they have fake buildings and cars and helicopters. And like this is how it's going to come in. This is where we think this guy's going to be, and all that stuff we had to sit in on. It was just like the movies, and it was awesome. They give they give everybody a pair of aviators. Uh, no, no, Wiley X. Wiley X. Yeah, those were the Let's issue of sunglasses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's amazing. And some, some people got Oakleys, like the wraparound Oakleys. <laughs> yeah, that's legit. Really? Yes, they were bal- like ballistic yeah. safety glasses, yeah. Nice. Some people got the, I got the Oakleys. I never wore them, they looked funny on my head. Yeah. Um, and some people got the Wiley Xs. Yeah, that's legit. Wow. <laughs> um, so we, I, I, so getting back to your question, was I was scared, there were times like yeah. stuff would happen um, after when we took over, we mostly uh, flew our deliberates. We, when we're infilling with special forces, mm-hmm. um, infantry, um, we didn't work a whole lot with SEALs that I know of. There were there were sometimes plain clothes guys that were either maybe they were SEALs, maybe they're special forces, maybe they're CIA. We don't know. Yeah. Um, but we would we would fly in with those guys at night, drop them off, and. Everything was smooth every single time, um, and so it just it just increased the whole like nothing's ever gonna happen to me. I'm always gonna get away with stuff. Other other units were losing birds, getting shot at, getting shot down, um, stuff like that. We never had in our whole deployment there. We never had a bird get shot down. We were the first um, aviation unit to not lose a bird, and our whole like our operation rate, our the the maintenance crews and stuff we had were the best That's we insane. we never had a lost mission because a bird wasn't ready to go or anything like that we get out of there and we were awarded the army aviation unit of the year wow because of the just things we had a lot of guys that just knew what they were doing yeah. guys with lots of hours flying um flight engineers and crew chiefs and gunners that had a lot of um a lot of deployments like two or three deployments one guy kirk he was in this that was his fourth deployment or fifth deployment um it was just there's a lot so it just that i say all that to say that's why i wasn't really scared although there were times like a few like rough landings mm-hmm. um sometimes at night you'd be flying along and you would see we call it spray and um spray and pray they would be down in the ground you could just see where they're shooting yeah. um ak's and stuff and occasionally you'd see an rpg and it just kind of like go oh, whizzing by. They're not, but they're not aiming. They hear something. They don't know where it's at. They have a general right. direction where they hear it, and they'll just shoot stuff. And you don't return fire because they're going to see your trace around your muzzle flash. Yeah. So you just sit there just and dig your grave. Yeah. So you're just like, well, I, we'll just watch them, and if they get close, it, a lot of times, 
almost every single time, I'd say 99% of the time, we had Apaches flying with us too. So if it was too close, Apache would go in and just light something up. Yeah. Which was cool to see Oh, 100%, too. man. But, so that, that kind of added to things. There were a few times when stuff would happen where I'd pray ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like some of those deliberate missions we would go on. It was like getting ready for a football game or a wrestling match or something. Like I'd go out, I'd get the bird already, go through, I'd clean all the weapons, oil them, get all the um, ammo set up where they needed to be, the weapons for the pilots. So if like we crashed, got shot down, we had backup weapons for them. All the stuff, I'd get it placed exactly where it needed to be, do all the stuff. And, and it wasn't just me. That's what Door Gunner's job yeah, was to yeah. do. Um, and then, you'd and then I'd, I'd put up my hammock. Yeah. And I'd lay down in my hammock, and I'd put in my earbuds, listen to... Stained or Creed. Uh, it was a lot of Metallica. <laughs> a lot of Metallica. Um, yeah. And, and there were a few times where I would pray then. And I'd, I'd just like, God help us get out of this one. Natural like, Lampoons, you'd just start saying, I pledge allegiance to Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um... And it was usually like we'd sit through a mission, or we'd sit through the mission brief, and like, this could be sketchy. Like, yeah. this, there's probably a good chance we're going to take fire, we're going to take this or that. And those ones, I when stuff like that was going to happen, I'd pray. But nothing really ever happened, like, major. Mm-hmm. There were pop shots here and there and stuff, but nothing, like, a, a bird I was on never got hit. Yeah. Um, Overall, I think maybe two or three of ours actually took effective fire. Yeah. Like where the bird got hit. Mm-hmm. Got fired at, but to actually hit the aircraft or something. Yeah. Um, and only one, and it was one of the last missions while we were there, was where the Chinook was taking heavy fire going in and returning heavy fire, just trying to get the the SF guys offloaded. Mm-hmm. Um and to, to go do their mission. So there was only one that was like super, super hardcore. Yeah. Um, the rest were little stuff here and there and mostly just keep your eyes out. And, right. Um, but yeah, so that, that added to my, like, I'm, I'm invincible. I'm untouchable. I can do whatever I want. I'm Jack Creature. Right. Yeah. I, I go home on leave. I have a warrant for my arrest because of... <laughs> Because of that wreck that happened just before. Yeah. I missed a court date. Gosh, here you are walking out with Toby Keith's song yeah. in the background. <laughs> being like a, you know, you serve your country. Exactly. You the and, angry American. And now uh, they want to arrest you. Yeah. So, once again, my dad makes a phone call. And they say, and I was, I was getting home on a Friday. They're like, lay low all weekend. Monday morning, go straight to the courthouse. And we'll have him, we'll just sign paper saying he was here and we'll immediately release him on his own reconnaissance and push a court date way out. So, and all that one is also, I get there, I go in, I party all weekend, go in Monday morning, sign paperwork that says I'm holding myself accountable for not coming to court mm-hmm. and I'm free to go. I mean, it didn't cost me any money. Yeah. It was nothing. So, once again, I go home with warrants and party for two weeks straight and and i was so reckless at this time the guy who was with me when i wrecked that company truck i'm hanging out with him when i'm home on leave we're partying in wellsville and this is like i i got home on friday this was saturday night or maybe even sunday night we're partying in wellsville bars in wellsville close at midnight so we're gonna go to baldwin we're driving out of town and we're like just out of town by the curve by the elementary school yeah and he says, man, we shouldn't be driving. 
Like, I shouldn't be driving. I'm drunk. You're drunk. Neither one of us had driver's license. Um, and so I'm like, yeah, I should probably turn around. We don't need to go out for another few hours or whatever. But as luck would have it, there was a hitchhiker. So we let him drive. Oh, my gosh. We pulled over. We picked this guy up. And I say, Genius. Uh, he's like, the, the driver of the truck gets out. And he gets into the, the back seat. And the guy goes, I don't have a driver's license. Right. And dude says, neither do we. <laughs> and drives us to the bars. Like, that's how reckless we were. And that's how stupid and how overconfident, cocky, yeah. prideful, arrogant, all yeah. that stuff. Nothing was going to happen to us. Nothing could ever happen to us. Yeah. This guy had been, that I was with during that, he had been in wrecks and stuff too, several of them, and nothing ever happened to him. We were on the same, kind of in the same boat, you know? Uh, it was it was crazy the way nothing bad, like really bad ever happened to us. Right. Um, so I get home, Afghanistan. We, at one point it gets real sketchy because uh, we're taking rocket attacks every night. Uh, we, the unit before us got two rocket attacks, the whole, their whole deployment. We had over 50, so we had more than one a week. Um, and it really stepped it up towards the end of our deployment. And so things started getting pretty wild then. And I, I kind of started praying again then. Um, so the deployment goes fine. Come home. Everything's good. Um, that whole DUI, all that kind of stuff turns into just a, Transporting an open container is the only ticket I got out of oh, it. Oh, wow. Um, I bought a new truck, kind of doing my own thing, working for a company, um, that uh, a concrete company, doing things. I get pulled over. Uh, I was drunk driving. I had this really cool lowrider truck. Got pulled over. Um, drunk driving. They took, I had a gun. They took the gun from me. And... So when I got out of jail after that, like I spent the night in jail, got out the next day, um, and the gun was gone. So I thought there were going to be like weapons charges. It turns out they took the gun. They never charged anything or which I don't know if I could have been at that time. Like I was, I was legally carrying a gun, you know, other than being drunk. It wasn't good. But right. you, you made the first time one mistake. You got to keep your dog tags on at all times. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I had, I had, uh. Veteran license plates, but the cop yeah, who arrested me—that's yeah, what they're gonna name. <laughs> the uh, the cop who arrested me was a veteran too. We talked about that sort of stuff. That's but, really cool. Yeah, and that's but that was I go to court, do all that stuff. Turns into a diversion. So basically, they say if you don't do anything wrong for six months, then and I had to go see a probation officer, then it's gonna be off your record. So here I am now, two times being charged with the DUI. Zero convictions. The amount of face tattoos that you could have right now. <laughs> I know that I missed out on. Yeah. So it just it just kept adding to stuff. And I got so reckless and so full of myself and everything at this time. Um, I, got, I got to where I, I thought I could just do anything. Like mm -hmm. I was untouchable, you know. And I grew up hearing those stories about all the stuff that my dad did that he never really got in trouble for. All the stuff my uncles did. And aside from... A, a short stint in Lansing. There wasn't uh, a lot of major trouble for these guys. Right. And I thought I was on the same track. Only the, now we're talking late 2000, mid 2000s, late 2000s. Um, there was someone close to me that got wrapped up in, in drugs, meth. Um, and I had just such a 
deep hatred for drugs, mm-hmm. um, any kind of heavy drugs. I seen firsthand. I had friends and stuff, family that had got into it, and I and I seen it firsthand, and it like it tore me up. So, yeah. being the person who like the way this was right after Afghanistan, I kind of had this mindset like you know the things that happened there and stuff. Um, so this person was doing drugs, and I thought that the guy she was seeing, I I just knew in my head. This is the reason. Like, he is the purpose. Mm-hmm. He's the reason. So I go to their house. It's like 2 o'clock in the morning. I beat on the door. Um, they won't come. They won't come to the door. They come to the door, but they won't come out. And so I go over, and I had a gun with me, and I'd been drinking a bottle of um, Captain Morgan. And my purpose, I, I was with a friend, and he thought I was just, like, just talking as we were going over there. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to take him out of the country. I'm going to shoot him somewhere. I'm just going to take him out somewhere. I'm going to shoot him and leave him. Like everyone would be better off without this person yeah. because he's cooks these drugs or deals them or whatever else. So I, I went there to, to take this man and to kill him. Yeah. Um, it was like or two, three o'clock in the morning or whatever. Of course I'm making a big racket. The dude who's with me, uh, he's smarter than me. He takes the, the bottle of booze out of my truck and the gun that I had in my truck, and it was a little um, little revolver, he took both and he, he split. Cops show up. They grab me, cuff me, throw me in the back of the tr- uh, cop car. My dad shows up. He points at the cop and says, get him out of that effing car and get those effing cuffs off of him. They did what they were told. Oh, my god! They took me out. They put me in the cop car or in, back in my dad's truck. My dad gets in, drives me home. My truck comes pulling up because one of the cops drove my truck home. And the other cop picked him up and they went back, got their vehicles, and that was it. I mean, Stoney Sr. is scary with only one leg. <laughs> Imagine that guy with two legs. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was legit. Yeah. Um, what he says goes. And it, it just, and I'm not saying this stuff to like brag or like look how. Right. It, I'm saying all this to just show how far gone I was. Like, I'm not proud of this stuff. I'm, mm-hmm. It was stupid. Yeah. I want the exact opposite for Healy. When he grows up, I don't want him. I don't, we don't have alcohol in the house. Yeah. I don't want him to be around it, see it. I don't want him. And if he drinks later on, that fine. A lot of people drink and that's okay. Yeah. I don't want to be like me though. Cause yeah. I can't, I can't like start drinking with a couple, but if I go to the lake, go camp and something like that, if I have a 12 pack with me, I'm going to drink that 12 pack yeah. and be like the next morning be like, Hey, where'd all my beer go? Yeah. Like I, I can't do that stuff. Yeah. So I don't want Healy to see that. And I don't 100%. want him to think that, that, that that's okay. That yeah. that's something he has to live up to. If he looks at me now and says, I want to live up to the, the legend or the stories of my dad. I want him to see my dad served at church. He was at church every Sunday yeah. He, he rode his motorcycle a lot, yeah. but he rode it to church, yeah. you know, and like he went to Bible studies. He did yeah. this, he did that. That's what I want to yeah. see. Yeah. Um, so that's why we don't really, and and we'll have a, a drink at dinner every now and again. Um, Which is no sin in that. Yeah. I mean? and, and, it's just, and it's fine, but I can't. Where's your heart at? Yeah. Yeah. I can't sit and party. Yeah. Um, and that's where I was then. Mm-hmm. And that's how far, like I couldn't not drink. Yeah. I couldn't go into a bar, have a beer or two, and leave. Yeah. Um, if I went someplace and had dinner and had a couple drinks at dinner, the next stop was to a bar. Yeah. You know, it's just I was out of control. Um, I was a, I was a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, and all these things just made me feel as though I couldn't be I couldn't be stopped. Right. Um, 
so then I, I after that one, I kind of started to see that I was going down the wrong road. Um, I did get, I got in a high speed chase. Um, I was, I always bragged that I was three and O in high speed chases with the cops, but I was actually like two O and one because one of them I was just seen on video. So they didn't catch me then, but they come back and they arrested me a few weeks later. And so I went to jail over that one. Um, I got sentenced, but this is a high speed chase. I was charged with two felonies and seven misdemeanors and they dropped it all down to one misdemeanor reckless driving. And I spent 48 hours in jail. That's when I said I was in that same jail cell as my uncle. That's all I got out of all that. Um, Raise him, praise Dale. Yeah. Yeah, That was the motto. That's, um, so again, that's that's just, that's just saying how much stuff I did and got away with that I shouldn't have. Right. Like the very first time I would have gotten um, that I wrecked my vehicle, if I got a DUI then and, it, and like convicted and maybe did a few days in jail and, you know, lost my life, all that stuff then, I don't know that it would have changed me because I was that stubborn. Right. Um, but it probably would have helped. But it, it definitely didn't help that I kept getting away with everything. Right. So, yeah. Then, uh, so when that happened, I moved to Arizona I was like, I'm going to get away from all this. I'm going to go down there. I need to dry out um, and get away and just kind of start new. Right. And this was in 2000. By now, it's 2010. Uh, I moved to Arizona. I get into the school Motorcycle Mechanics Institute. So my love for Harley-Davidson's is is still full bore, you know, at this time. Go to Harley. Uh, Motorcycle Mechanics Institute, Harley School. Well, who do I meet at Harley School? a bunch of dudes. A lot of them are veterans. All of them like to drink beer. All of them like to like motorcycles, like all these same stuff. We would party hard. I'd work during the day, go to school in the evenings, and, you know, party all weekend. Yeah. Um, same type of stuff going on. Um, a few things happened where there was a little bit of gunplay and stuff. Guns pulled on us. I was pulling guns, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it was like... Um, and it was the same story. It was the same thing over and over again. Nothing ever happened with it. Nothing yeah. ever. Like at, at one point, I had a roommate who I ended up we ended up split ways because he was big into cocaine, and I wanted nothing to do with drugs. Still at this point, you know, or yeah. ever. Um, so I ended up moving on from there. But our neighbor was a cop, and we'd have parties with the garage door open, and he and other guys would be doing coke off of tables and chairs and stuff right there when our neighbor's a cop. Yeah. And it was like, people were like, you, there's, there's a cop car right there. Right. And we're like, oh, nothing ever happens. We're cool. Yeah. It was just more of that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I ended up getting arrested in Arizona. Oh, um, got another, another DUI amongst a few other things. Um, so it's, it's at this point, it's, going towards the end of my this my school there. Yeah. So two things happen at right at the end of the school. One, I go to a court date and they say you're spending at least 45 days in one of these tent cities and they said that's the minimum. Yeah. But you're not going to get the minimum. Um it was like 45 days to like five years or something, something crazy like that's that. That's just ridiculous. I know that's a huge whatever, <laughs> yeah. but, and I, and I think they use a lot of that just to scare people into hundred percent, you know, whatever. So uh, I'm looking at spending at least a summer, if not a few summers in a tent city outside of Phoenix, Arizona. 
So I go back to school. So like Burning Man? <laughs> Not even close. <laughs> okay. Uh, I go back to school. I go in. I talk to the people. I'm like, hey, can I double up my classes to where I take class during the day and in the night, and then I'll graduate early. And so by then, I know when my next court date is. So I start doubling up my classes. I graduate from school. And I'm already, you know, I've already called my parents, got everything lined out before my next court date. I'm loaded up everything and I'm headed back to Kansas. Wow. I got, at this point, I had two Harleys. Um, one, the old shovel head of my dad's. Mm-hmm. So not mine, but the one I was riding all the, and I bought one while I was out there. Yeah. So I had two Harleys. I had my Jeep, had all my stuff, giving the bird to Arizona as I crossed into New Mexico yeah. the day that I graduated. Um, like just out of here, I didn't go back to the court date and just. And what year was this? 2011. 2011. So I I graduated August 5th of 2011. Mm -hmm. August 6th, 2011, um, a Chinook helicopter was shot down. Um, Call sign extortion 17. Mm -hmm. There were 31 souls on board. It was my old unit. Um, Oh my gosh. There had been a crash earlier, a bird that was shot down um, earlier. And like I said, that guy, Kirk, that was his fifth deployment. He got hurt. Another guy that uh, is a good friend of mine, and he told me he'd be on the podcast. We just got to line out the time. Yeah. Um, he got a, a traumatic brain injury. Um, he was a phenomenal athlete. If it was anyone else, it probably would have killed him. He was never supposed to walk again. And within months, he was wow. doing all these things like that he should have never been able to do again. Right. Um, we'll get to that when he's on here. But um, so the pilot, he was a co-pilot of that bird when that was shot down. His first flight back when they say, because there's a big investigation, and they say, yep, this didn't happen because of you guys. You're free to fly again. So as a pilot, you're in a crash. There's an investigation. Did you do something wrong? Did the bird break or, in this case, shot down, RPG? Um, they clear him to fly his next mission out. Shot down. Oh, my god! Killed 31, 30 people and one working dog. The biggest life loss of Special Forces lives, there were Navy SEALs on board, a bunch of, I, I can't remember the exact number of Navy SEALs because there was also Air Force Combat Controller, um, a couple PAC-MIL guys, PAC, or PAC-MIL, Afghanistan, yeah. uh, uh, Army, um, and then the guys from a mixture of helicopter units. The pilot... I briefly knew, and the gunner, I don't know if it's a gunner, just one of the FEs, uh, named Spencer Duncan, I knew him, and the pilot that I knew was um, Brian Nichols. I didn't know him well um, in the short time that I got back before I got out of the Army. They were in the unit, so mm-hmm. it was just kind of knew who they were. Wow. And when that happened, even though I was out of the Army and I didn't really know these guys, for some reason it, like, messed me up. Like, I, I kept saying, if I would have stayed in the Army... I if I would have been there, that wouldn't have happened, which is absolutely ridiculous. It has there's, I mean, there's no way to know any of that. Yeah. There's no way to there's no reason to think that, but I took it really hard. Like I it it bets me up pretty good. Um. So after and like I said, that was the day after I graduated. So I guess we didn't leave the day I graduated. We left the following day. Um, make it back to uh, Kansas, get a job at a Harley dealership, and start doing my thing here. Yeah, still drinking, still partying. 
Um, I would go out partying and would leave a bar and go straight to uh, Rawhide, the dealership where I'd work, sleep in my Jeep for a couple hours. When the doors open, I'd be there. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, and I was known like as a partier. And I did, I did stuff there that I should have been fired from that job so many times. Yeah. Um, showing up to work, still drunk the night before. Um, I had, I had, I had a lot of anger, a lot. Of, and that was always a thing that I, I haven't really got into so far, but it was always a thing. I had a lot of anger, a lot of animosity, um, very short fuse. Yeah. Um, and I, it was at this time. It was probably at the at its all times worst after um, moving back from Arizona and Extortion Seventeen and all that stuff. And I and like I said, I don't know why I took Extortion Seventeen so hard. I don't know why it affected me. I didn't. I didn't know one of these guys so close that it was like I can't believe he's gone. I knew him. I knew who they were. Mm-hmm. That was it. But for some reason, it messed me up. Um, so well, I mean, that's your, you know, like, cause it, I think why I messed you up so bad is cause like you were able to put yourself, you know, in their shoes just because I can't, I mean, cause I've never, you know, served, you know, like I have, I, I was decent at Call of Duty at one point, but like <laughs> I've never served, but like you could, it's easy for you and just how our brains are, you know, to dream like up a situation where you were in it, you know, cause you experienced, you know, all that stuff and yeah of course it's gonna hit you hard you know like you experienced it like yeah you know, and yeah it very well could have been you you know like but in my mind it wouldn't have been me it wouldn't have, in the way i thought that would have never happened if i'd have been there it wasn't like man i could have been there i could have been killed it was if i was still there they wouldn't have died yeah that's because i was still like anything happens to me and like i just left a whole state and nothing was gonna happen you right. know, like that sort of thing. Little did I know, ten years later, it was going to catch back up to me, and it cost me a lot of money, and I cost <laughs> us a lot of money. If you can look at Jim's all the face. posters they wasted printing out, putting them yep. in front of <laughs> on every where is this man post office <laughs> yeah. and uh, unsolved mysteries, all that stuff. Yeah. Um. So now I was working at Rawhide. My anger was that was at its like the the most like the highest level. I would fly off the handle over the smallest things. I worked at first I was a service rider. So you sit out, people bring their bike in. I did that for about 30 days and they're like, you can't talk to customers anymore. They didn't want us talking to people. Didn't want me associating with the public. Yeah. Um, I didn't have a poker face. If someone came in and like was, was like, for instance, there's this one guy who he wanted new exhaust for his bike. Wasn't sure if he wanted black chrome to put on his bike i didn't care i just want you to i just want you to pick one so i can write this up and you know that's how i make my money yeah if you're standing there wasting my time i'm not making any money yeah so i'm getting annoyed him and his wife start arguing and i don't know what i said but whatever it was it wasn't very nice yeah you know like you know just just pick an exhaust all right you know something i said something and but anyway they don't let me work up there uh, so they put me like in a back room it's it's (laughs) parts to service so yeah. the guys who are the service techs come to that window hey i need these parts and i would so i wasn't a parts guy out selling parts over the counter um i was just only dealing with service techs yeah um and like i said anger this and that i had a little bell if i was back in the in the parts room getting part of something they could ring the bell 
And this bell drove me nuts. The sound of this bell would send me off there. I picked the bell up. A guy came up and rang it while I was sitting there. I stood up out of my chair. I grabbed the bell and I threw it like I was Randy Johnson into his <laughs> chest from the distance you and I, like you, I could reach out and we could touch each other. We were this far away and I hit him in the chest with that bell. And I'm like, if you ever ring that thing again while I'm sitting here, I'll blah, 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 you know, all this yeah. stuff. The boss comes out and he's like, dude, what is going on with you? I'm like, tell him not to ring the bell. I'm just trying to I should have been. I should have been fired. Yeah. And it was, guys, don't ring the bell when he's sitting here. Yeah. We went through, in the time that I was in in that position, we went through three bells and... Well, you're just trying to listen to Dragula by Rob Zombie, <laughs> you know, on repeat. Yeah, I would I would chuck the bell against the wall. I would, like, my, my anger and over the dumbest stuff was just yeah. out of control. Um, and somehow through all that, the person with the worst judgment ever, my wife, (laughs) (laughs) I meet her, we worked, we worked there together and, um, I don't know what got into her, but I mean, it took a while. We, we were friends for like two years. Um, that's really cool. Yeah. Like I, I. I yeah. busted out of the friend zone like, like the Kool-Aid man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we were we were friends. We did all kinds of stuff together. Um, like, But she would always say, this isn't a date. You want to go to a rules game? Okay, but it's not a get date. You mm-hmm. want to go out and have dinner, see a movie? Yeah. Want to go to this bar? Okay, but we're it's not, not a date. It's not a date. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so nothing ever happened. You know, we'd, we'd go out. I'd get all hammered. She would drive back to her apartment. Yeah. She'd point at the couch. Kill a pillow and blanket. She would close her door and lock it. Like just, I, I was not going into that bedroom, you know. Baby boy brother, dude. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, it was. I was the king of the friend zone at that point. Yeah. Um, but at the same time that we were we were kind of hanging out and friends and stuff. Eventually, we go. We're at Texas Roadhouse um, because I'm a man of class and super romantic too. And. <laughs> The guy comes up and he hands me the check. And, you know, once again, I'm like, hey, you want to go out to dinner, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, okay, but it's not a date. The guy brings the date or the check and I give it back to him. I said, two checks. It's not a date. Uh-huh. And and then little Miss Greedy Pants over here decided we could start dating. Oh, and it wasn't exactly <laughs> the that. Rest it, was history. it was It was a, like then it started getting a little more serious or whatever. You hear that um, voice in the friend zone? Here's your tip. <laughs> So I I invited her to a wedding with me, um, and to be my actual date. And that night at that at that wedding, she started like, "Okay, I'll be your girlfriend." She came into your looks, but at the at the same time this was going on, I finally started going to the VA. Um, I went and started going to their mental health clinic. Yeah, um, help start getting stuff cleared up that that I just need to talk about. medication, you know, that sort of stuff to try and like level me out. Yeah. Um, so, and then previous, a, a, a huge part of this that I've left out up to this point is, um, Jake and Jackie Bauer at that point took me in. Like when I, when I moved back from Arizona, I was kind of couch hopping. Um, there was this girl I dated before. I was basically just using her for a place to stay. Um, going from place, hanging with buddies, this and that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally she, you know, she wasn't dumb. So yeah. it was like done with that. So I didn't have a place to go. Um, and I wound up at 
Jake and Jackie's house one night, just hanging out like we were there because Jackie and I grew up together. Yeah. Uh, you know, we were very close. When I lived in Arizona, they would be out there visiting family and uh, they would call me and I would go hang out with their extended family in Arizona. That's so you cool. know, that kind of stuff. Um, so they took me in. Their basement had a full, huge, like living room basically in the basement, my own room, bathroom. The only thing I didn't have was a kitchen. Yeah. So I basically, I was, they're like, yeah, you can, you can stay here. Like, you know, you need a few months to get on your feet. So I'm in the basement after a couple weeks, Jake is like, you know, we didn't want you to move in so you could just live in the basement. Like if you're, if you're living here, you're part of the family. Like the kitchen's up here, dinner's up here. Wow. Like, you know, he wasn't having this. Most guys would have been like, you know, cause I was, I was friends with Jackie. We went to school together. Right. Jake was older. I knew Jake, yeah. but like he and I weren't tight by any means. I just knew who he was. Um, most guys would have been like, there's no way you're going to let this guy that you were friends with in high school. I mean, it was, it was only friends in high school. It's not like we dated or anything. Right. Live in our house. But it was the exact opposite. That's He was like, no, dude, you're part of the family. You're Uncle Jared. Yeah. Uh, Kaylee. And yeah, Austin. exactly. Yeah. Um, and that's, I became like, they would call me their big brother. That's so cool. And, you know, I, I would take them to school when they needed to take to school. Like, Jackie would be like, hey, I got to be gone. And, for whatever reason, blah, 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 can you take Ozzy to school? Yeah, I'll take him to school. Yeah. You know, I would go, hey, neither one of us can make it, and they're making gingerbread houses at school today. Can you do that? Yeah, I can do that. <laughs> so, I, You know, like, I was going to their games and stuff, yeah. and family dinner, family Christmas, you know, all that yeah. stuff. And it was it was just going to be for a short, uh, short couple months. And it was about a year and a half, almost two years, that I lived there. Wow. Um, and it was like, it was like, I was part of the family the whole time. Yeah. And it helped to Jackie being a nurse practitioner, doctor, whatever. She was someone, and I, I knew her since preschool, yeah. someone I could talk to. And that helped yeah. a lot. Like, she had a big influence on me. Um, if I if I was getting out of line, Jake wouldn't hesitate to say, you know, like, you know, if I was drinking too much or doing this or doing that, like, you know, you're, you're in the house with my family. Mm-hmm. You know, this needs to be... You're grounded. Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they, they, did a, they did a lot to help kind of reel me back in some. Um, and then that's when I started... We started dating Jen. We didn't. I did. Yeah, I was just saying. <laughs> uh, <like>, okay. <laughs> um, but I, I had her, like, come over for dinner and that kind of stuff there. And it, I meet the family, but it was the Bowers, yeah. not like my actual family. Yeah. Um, and I think that was like the final nail in the coffin. Like she seen me hanging out with them and she was like, you know, behind that swollen shut eyes. Cause we did go on a date where I'd been in a, a bar fight. Yeah. Um, the night before two nights before or whatever. And my eye was swollen shut and like it was, it had a black eye and it had, like bled over to the other side. Yeah. So what started out as one black eye after a couple of days was two. Cause like you lay down and it oh, like, yeah. bled over. Cyclobe, yeah. And, um, yeah. And she still went on dates with me then. And I mean, not dates. We went out as friends. Yeah. <laughs> the amount of but, grace <laughs> that you had. Exactly. So after all this, um, I saw you with she, Jack yeah, she seen me like the way I was hanging out with, uh, with Boog and Fuzz and, mm-hmm. um, was like, oh, I'll give him a chance. And so next wow. year's from like there, next month, 10 years. Yeah. The next month will be 10 years that we oh started dating. Yeah. We went, we got an apartment, um, got another apartment. Got another apartment. 
Yeah. Two two or three apartments, and then moved, bought a house, um, got married. Um, and by this time, I'd settled down a lot. Like, yeah. having her around, it, it helped a lot. Yeah. And like I said, I, I was going to the VA, um, getting getting the help I needed there, doing that sort of thing, um, and just having her around. And she wasn't, she wasn't partying on my level. Like she, she would, we'd go to bars and stuff when we were hanging out and, but she wasn't a partier on my level. Mm -hmm. And instead of her coming up to my level, um, I like started slowing down and and went down to hers where we'd still go out and do stuff. But for the most part, we spent more time just hanging out and doing anything else but going out and partying, you know? Um, so we eventually bought a house together, got married we got married in November of 2016, November 5th, and uh, on Valentine's Day, I came home from work, and she's like, hey, I got you something, and she shows me this onesie, and oh, it's got gosh. a little motorcycle on it, and this and that. And you're like, how like, am I going to fit into that? Yeah, I was like, what an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, um, you know, so she's pregnant. We were, yeah. we were going to have a baby now. Yeah. Super excited about that. Uh, 13 weeks pregnant we're on the motorcycle uh, I come around a corner and there's traffic stopped I lock up my brakes we start sliding and it's either rear end all these other uh, bikes in front of us or go down through a ditch and so I did that we hit that ditch Jen went flying over me um, crashed the motorcycle Messed up my shoulder, like, and it, it's crazy how how vivid I remember. I remember like hitting the ground and like sliding across the ground, but still looking for Jen. Like, what happened to her? Where's she at? And so by the time I came sliding like to a stop, I was already back up, like trying to get to her. Um, so obviously we go to the hospital. Uh, we get, we get driven there. I called someone to come pick up my bike. My mom picks us up, took us to the hospital. And they're like, your your baby's fine. You know, when they're when they're that far along, they're in a sack of fluid and makes me my stomach just you can they were like, you know, your your baby's gonna be fine. So once again, um, even though I wasn't like out of line, I wasn't drunk, I wasn't doing anything crazy, like I wasn't I if I was speeding it wasn't by much, you know, I'm just going along with this ride. Um, and it just happened and but once again, something that could have ended very badly, I like, I popped something in my shoulder, but it wasn't out of place. Um, Jen was fine. The baby was fine. That was it. We were both, that's like on a Saturday, we were both to work yeah. on Monday, you yeah. know? Yeah. Nothing major. Nothing really significant happened up until uh, July, it was Sunday, July 23rd. And that is like three or four in the yeah. afternoon. Yeah. Okay, earlier, Jen says, you know, I haven't felt the baby move a whole bunch. Um, You know, something that, like this whole weekend, something doesn't seem right. And I'm like, well, let's go get it checked out. We'll go to the hospital, get it checked out. They're going to say everything's fine. We're going to stop and grab Chipotle and, you know, it'll be okay. Yeah. So we go up, like I said, it's a Sunday afternoon. We go to Shawnee Mission Medical Center. Um... They take her blood pressure, and it was 190 over oh 127 gosh. or something like that. It was crazy. 
um, they tell us that the reason she hasn't felt him is just the way he's sitting in there. And, um, but because of the blood pressure, they want to keep her overnight and just see. They gave her some medication. Pre and stuff. Um, they just want to keep her overnight and see how that goes. So we wake up. It's Monday morning. You know, I call into work. Doctor comes in and they and just we really still don't know why the this one nurse was like we need a sonogram mm-hmm. and so they're like well you know we know that he's breached you know this and that not a big deal um, so they do a sonogram they come back in they say there's something going on to where he's not getting all the nutrients and stuff through the umbilical cord like he's supposed to he's at this point we're 26 weeks along and he's measuring at a 24 week baby and they say, um, her blood pressure was still high at this point. They say, we're going to transport you to St. Luke's. There's a doctor there named Dr. Florio. She's one of the best in the nation. Mm-hmm. If you're anywhere in the U S and have a question about uh, a, a childbirth, you can talk to Dr. Florio and that's what people do. Yeah. So they're like, we'll go to St. Luke's. You're probably going to have this baby in the next two weeks. Wow. So, transferred, I'm a mess. Like, I'm on the phone. I'm trying to tell my dad. Like, I don't know what's going on. Like, blah, blah. Like, I'm just a mess. I can't hardly talk. Jen just grabs the phone and is like, yeah, there's some complications. They're going to the the hospital. It's going to be okay. And that was it. So, load up and then they throw her in an ambulance. I follow the ambulance in the car. We get to St. Luke's. Put her in a room. And here's this Dr. Florio, you know, and she came walking in. It was like watching a, a, a movie. She yeah. came walking in in her long white doctor's robe or robe, uh, jacket, Is coat, Meredith Grey or Grace and Adam. No, she was really good and not near as annoying. <laughs> um, Fair. So she comes walking in and she's got like six or seven Dr. Grace behind her taking notes and writing down everything. And the first thing, I'm wearing a shirt that says Kansas Wrestling, blah, blah, from coaching wrestling and all that. Um, she looks at me and she says, Kansas, huh? I'm sorry. And then goes right into whatever. Like, yeah, she was just hilarious. And she says, you know, she starts talking. She does a lot to calm Jen down. They're trying to get Jen an IV, but the doctors, like the nurses were having a hard time. She was dehydrated and stuff. And it was just Mm -hmm. taking, she just like takes the stuff from the nurse and she's still talking to Jen, looks down, pops it right in, nails the, the IV, you know, just like that. Just like. You know, she was a superhero. Yeah. And um, she's like, all right, well, you know, it probably won't be two weeks. We'll probably have this baby the next two days. And uh, we're just like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, She walks the out room. of the room. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she walks out of the room. She turns around, comes back in. She goes, they just told me about your blood pressure. We need to take this baby now. And I was like, well, what do you mean now? She's like, we're going to start now. I go, well, her parents live like five hours away. I'm going to call them. She goes, you need to call them. The baby's going to be here before they are. And just like that, it was we're oh off to the races. God. And, yeah, my parents were already there. Um, my cousin and his wife, my sisters. Like, he has a lot of family there already. Um, this is 2017. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we go in, have the baby. I, like, they, they pull him out, and they're like, Dad, do you want to see him? I go over, and he he was so small. He was 11 and a quarter inches long, um, one pound, eight ounces. And I look at him, just like, oh, my gosh. And I said something that has some explicit, uh, you know, bad language in it. 
like he's so blank blank small and one of the nurses looks over and it's someone who I coached her husband in wrestling at one point. You know, oh, she's, yeah. a, she's a Wellsville person. Yeah. She's like, oh, and I didn't know that then. She recognized yeah. at that point. Um, so they take the baby. They, um, to like kind of get him, he's crying. And one of the doctors says, oh, I, I can't believe he's crying. I'm like, well, he's a baby. Yeah. Isn't that what right. he's supposed to be doing? They're yeah. like, not when they're this young, not when they're this small, not when they're this early. Yeah. Like the crying was kind of, they're like, he's, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Um, move her to a room. They had to put her on magnesium. Um, Which Mallory had to as well. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it had her like loopy. Mm -hmm. She was kind of all over the place. So for a couple days, I was walking back and forth from the NICU to her room. She didn't get to see the baby um, for a while. And one of the, one of these, at this point, I'm like, like I, I'm freaking out. Um, I, you know, think all these things are terrible, like a baby's going to die, you know, all this sort of stuff. But at the time I had a motorcycle in my shop that I'd been working on for Dennis Kickler. Mm -hmm. And so at one point we came home or I came home, um, get clothes or whatever it was. And I went down, Hey Dennis, I'm done with your bike. I got a small short time window, meet me there. He gets there, and by now, people around town have known what's going on and stuff like that. So he asked about Jen, asked about Healy, um, then he says, can I pray for you? And we're standing right there on Main Street, um, Main Street, Wellsville, Brick Main Street, and he like puts his hand on me, and he prays for me, and it was just like, everything about it changed. This is going to, we're going to be okay. Yeah. Everything's going to be okay. And... So then I, I went from like a 5% confidence to like a 90% confidence. Yeah. So I get back up to the hospital, go in. I'm seeing Jen. I walk back down. I see Healy in the in this incubator. I'm walking back and walking towards me is this nurse, uh, Kimberly Burbank. Yeah. And uh, I'm just like, hey, what? Hey, she's like, hey, I've seen your name. I've seen Stonequist on the board, and she's a NICU nurse there, and this is the first time I've seen her there, and I just lost it again, you know, like, I'm so scared, I'm this and I'm that, and so she, like, puts a hand on me, she's like, let, let, and she prays with me, yeah. or, or for me, not with me, Yeah. she prays for me, and so that was, like, the last little bit I needed, Yeah. and between that and just going down there and listening to the doctors talk and the nurses and stuff, at that point, I had 1,000% confidence in what was going to happen that it was in God's hands and that uh, the doctors and nurses knew exactly what they were doing mm -hmm. and everything was to be okay yeah um, we stayed in the in the hospital week um, Jake and Jackie showed up and brought us that Chipotle that <laughs> we were supposed to get afterwards yeah. you know they they came up and um, ja Jake was like come on this is where St. Luke's is is near Westport so he's like you probably need a beer. So yeah. we went down and <laughs> went down and had a beer yeah. right down the street, and, yeah. which I didn't know how much I needed, but yeah. I was able to drink a beer with them and turn yeah. and go right back and exactly. everything was cool. And, yeah. um, so after a week, Jen gets to come home. Healy stays there. He's there 84 days. Oh my gosh. And they, um, they say he's got problems with his eyes. They're going to have to do surgery, so they need to transport us. All this time, these 84 days have been great at St. Luke's. Mm -hmm. The nurses, the doctor, all of the staff at St. Luke's was amazing. Mm -hmm. um, the doctors came over from Children's Mercy. 
they say, okay, let's load them up. We're going to get over there. And this was on a Sunday also. We're going to get them over there, and tomorrow morning we're going to have the surgery on his eyes. So day 84, we leave. Day 85, we're waking up at, at uh, Children's Mercy. Oh, never mind. His eyes aren't so bad. I lost it. Like when I talked about before where my anger was through the roof, yeah. I blew up because when he, during the transport, his, um, like all his stats, all the stuff that he was trying so hard to get to so he could leave, mm-hmm. they all dropped. Oh my god! So then they had to put a feeding tube back in. They had to do all this stuff. It was a huge step backwards. Yeah. And the way I seen it, they only took him over there so they could start getting the money, the insurance money versus right. St. Luke's. Yeah. And so I, I blew up. And I was like looking at the nurses. I'm like, you're cool. You're really good at what you do. We love you guys. I'm looking at the doctors. I'm like, but you and you, like, and I'd lose it. Um, I didn't even cuss though. I remember remember after that looking at Jim's like, I did the whole thing without cussing. And cussing's been something I've always, it's been my strong suit, you know? Um, Fast forward to day 99. We get to leave, come home. It's Halloween 2017. Um, Obviously, at this point, he's probably only about three pounds or so. Um, around four pounds. There's no Halloween costumes for a four-pound baby, so <laughs> put him in a sock, like one of your socks. Even better, he's a sock got puppy. him a extra, extra uh, small. It's a a costume for a dog. So it was, <laughs> it was like for a like a little wiener dog. And so it was a hot dog costume. We get to put him in him and bring him home. But that's amazing. Yeah, and. But, and the reason I bring up all that, one, because it, it sucked and it was hard, yeah. but it was also like the first time in my life where I felt the Holy Spirit, where I felt the presence of God um, with me. Yeah. Was, was with, with Dennis. Yeah. Um, during that time, um, Scott Hudson came by and brought us food. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Brad and Rebecca mm-hmm. had, had reached out to us. Um, like, there's just a lot of people, people of faith, and there are a lot of people not of faith also that reach out to us. Like, we were very well taken care of in that time. Um, but that was kind of like the the start to believing again, yeah. um, or for the first time, maybe of fully believing. We did a little bit of church shopping at that time, um, started going to one church here, um, I guess. Let's see, we, we went to that church for a year, maybe, mm-hmm. and when we left there is when we got a hold of you and, mm-hmm. and started coming to um, start coming to family church, and everything was going there. I still, I don't, I don't think I was sold out completely mm-hmm. uh, yet for Christ, and, but I was going to different Bible studies, and several different Bible studies, and at one of those Bible studies is where I met a guy who was in a motorcycle club, mm-hmm. and it was a Christian. I was like, well, that's cool. Like, I've always liked motorcycles. Um, I hung out with m- several motorcycle clubs in my past. Um, started hanging out with these guys more and ended up prospecting for them. Yeah. So I'm still going to church. I'm still, and I, I, I'm brand new to an outlaw motorcycle club. Yeah. Um, and so I was a hang around. And then after the hang around process, uh, uh, after that process, you become a prospect. So September 2021, I September 11th of 2020, 2021, I became a like I finally 
I'm a prospect for the club. It's not a, just someone who hangs around a weird with them. date, by the way. Yeah. September 12th, yeah. I get baptized. So there's guys from the club. There's right. there's Which guys from this. our bigger brother club. Yeah. That's, a, that's a major one percenter club. These people I'm hanging out with, they come to the baptism. Um, and they, like I, I've been around the Soldiers for Jesus Motorcycle Club for a Bible study. And I seen like big major one percenter guys mm-hmm. getting baptized and stuff. That's where James came from. If you've yeah. listened previously, you heard that story as well. Um, so I'm in the club. I'm going to church. Everything's going well. And then something happened where, well, f- first of all, the guy who was like my mentor, mm-hmm. um, he is not from here. He was here helping get the club started and stuff for the state. Um, his parents were in bad health, and he had to move back to the East Coast to take care of his parents. So we got a new president, and and that was like a, a big turning point for our club. Um, we got a new president. Things were going well, uh, and then all of a sudden, one day, I was the new president of the club, and so now I'm the president of an outlaw motorcycle club. I'm not going to church near as often. I'm not going to Bible study near as often. Um, you know, we're still marriage at this point. It's still good. We're raising Healy. Everything's going well. But the longer I was in the club, especially as an officer, mm-hmm. like the more attention it was taken away from all these other things. I'm going to church less. Like if I have to miss church for this or that, it's okay. Right. I'm not going to Bible study near as often uh, because I spend so much time away because of club stuff that I don't want to be away the night of Bible study. Mm-hmm. So I'm choosing club stuff over family first and then over Bible study and church. Um, and I was trying to balance it out. And I think some people may may be able to do it, but I couldn't. I could not keep that balance of being a good Christian, a good husband and dad, and doing hood around the, stuff. Yeah, doing yeah, trying to do yeah. being an outlaw. Um, and it was it was fun. And I I met great people mm-hmm. love and I still love most of those guys like like they are my brothers yeah. and I still uh, I met people from all over the country because this is a huge club um, we I, I went to several different states yeah and you know for all this different stuff and it was a blast and I loved it and but I couldn't do it I start drinking again mm-hmm. like a lot um, riding my motorcycle while drinking doing all this stuff and so it's it started pulling away from the family mm-hmm. um and i was trying to say well we are a family like our club is a family club we have family around a lot well it's one thing to like be hanging out with your family and the club it's one thing to be around all the club and all the women are sitting over here all the kids are over here and i'm still just doing my thing with my brothers right that's not spending time with my family yeah. that's spending time with the club and the family is over here in the shadows yeah and it got to the point where it was it was a huge strain on our marriage. At the time, um, Jen was also in a job that she hated. Mm-hmm. It was uh, she was in this, been in the same industry for ten years, but at the, at this one season of her life, this this one specific property she was at was terrible. Shout out that job. <laughs> <laughs> so and it was bad. So she was already stressed and yeah. stuff at work, and then as soon as she's pulling up. Like, hey, babe, how was your day? Without listening to an answer, I'm throwing on my cut, jumping on my bike. I've got to go to a meeting. I've got to go do this. I'm going to go hang out with my brothers. i got to do all this stuff. And I'm just I'm just taken away. So she's 
she's got a job that sucks. She's stressed out. She's coming home. Washing all your bandanas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all this stuff. So it was just, it was just really taken it's away. Tough. And it, it just got to the point where, and I didn't know this at the time, um, she, well, I even, I'm going to back this up a little bit. I even got off my meds at one point that was keeping me like cool, you know. Um, I had a job, a good job with the school district and flew off the handle one time at a couple drivers, um, one of them running at the mouth and I wasn't going to let that stand, you know. Um, end up getting fired from that job. Went and had another job as a welder. Um, thanks for going good. Good job. I enjoyed it. And at this time, like, and this is during the club stuff, um, dude mouths off to me. And like, he, but he waited till he was like a ways away from me, which whatever, turn around, go back to work. That's what, that's what a man should do. Mm-hmm. Instead, me, I say, hey, if you're going to run your mouth, Stand here and run your mouth, but you know whatever, blah blah blah. The details aren't important. The the what's important <laughs> is that yeah. once again, yeah. I I was doing my own thing, living in the world. Um, flew off the handle, get into a fight with this guy. Um, I didn't get fired, but someone else went and told the bosses. And so when it came time for raises, like a week later, or it may have been a month later. Um, People talk about getting a raise. They're like, I didn't get a raise. I've been here longer than all these guys. Yeah. So I go to the boss's office. I walk through the door. I'm like, dude, what's up? You know, this is me again. I'm in your face. I'm, you know, confrontational and all yeah. that kind of stuff. I'm like, dude, what's up? You know, blah, blah. He says, well, because of your actions. And I kind of lose my lid again and tell him where to go. I grab my stuff and walk out the door and I call up a buddy. Hey, I just quit my job. I need something to do. He's like, all right, I can keep you busy for a little bit. Um, so that was, that's just to tell you how far backwards I've been going at that time. Like everything was good when he was a baby, when, when we were seeing God work through that. And then I got complacent and I got to where, well, all these things are good. And I stepped out of line and it just took that, that quickly, just straight back. I was driving to Hayes rest state wrestling whenever you called me. I believe it was like during the whole race thing and you were just so angry and mad and you just wanted to vent about it. Yeah. And you're, you're like, I, you're like, Gage, just say something to keep me from killing these people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. Yeah. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I was, it was a bad thing. I was, and it was all my fault. Like, you know, I said something when, when Kyle was on the other day about meeting Curtis because mm-hmm. he was a bus driver and I was in charge of transportation. Um, and I said something to Kyle, like if I would have been following Christ then and listening, going to church then, I'd probably still be doing that job. Right. Um, I, you know, but I wasn't. I was living in the world. I was doing my own thing. I thought I had control of everything. Mm-hmm. And that's where it got me. Um, you know, then followed by the welding job and all that same stuff. So coming back, you know, back in the club, I walked away from that job, uh, end up going and doing like some side stuff. You know, still doing mostly the club thing. And at this point, I'm not making as much money, so that's more of a stressor um, on the family. And it, and Jen, at this point, just had it. Mm. She tells me, like, I don't I don't think I can do this. Like, I, one of us needs to go. Mm. And I was like, no, that ain't going to happen. I'm, you're not going anywhere. Um, I'm not, I'm sure not leaving. Mm-hmm. 
she was the one making the money because I was like <laughs> doing doing like job to job, doing yeah. whatever I could, and was still like, "You're not leaving. Yeah. I'm the man of the house." Blah, blah blah, you know all that stuff, and I guess I didn't take it serious enough. I'm still doing the club stuff, um, and then it and then it got real. Like the second time it came up, um, where she was leaving, and then it was like right after that there was a big incident with the club mm-hmm. and I seen all these people who I thought I had needed to be loyal to and that were going to be loyal to me and that we were brothers and righteous and all these other key phrases that you say when you're in a motorcycle club for a lot of those guys, it's just, it's BS. Mm-hmm. They're just saying it because they hear it be said. Right. Oh, of course. And so I walked away. Um, and still a lot of the guys, I still love them to death. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the guys that I was, close to that was in the same chapter that I was in it was legit with those guys but outside of that it fell way short um so I left the club and things at the same time Jen got a different job um so she got out of that job I got out of the club we I I talked to Pastor Curtis and was like I need I need prayers I need help yeah um we started Years prior, we went to um, the marriage encounter mm-hmm. that that uh, Curtis and Sue host, and so we start putting that, like applying that again, mm-hmm. that we need to pray, we need to go to church, we need to take it serious. I yeah. started going back to Bible studies. Yeah, I started doing all the stuff I should have been doing all along. We put God first and our family again, um, and that was that was a huge turning point. We start. I started reading the Bible, getting up in the mornings and reading the Bible, yeah. like I was doing prior to the club. Um, I start reading the little kids' Bibles to Healy. Mm-hmm. Um, Jen and I are talking about Scripture. We're doing Bible plans together on our yeah. phone apps, you know. And it just, it changed everything. Yeah. Like once once we focused once again on how good God is and how when you when you give everything over to Him, he t- he'll just take it and be like, I got it from here. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, you just got to give it to God and it's yeah. done. It's yeah. like you're still going to have – now, trust me, when you turn your when you turn it over to God, the enemy hits hard. Super and hard. he will – he come hard, but you just got to keep that trust yeah. and that faith. And you got to have people like yourself, like Scott, like, like Curtis and Kyle, like all these people I can reach out to, like Poncho from Soldiers mm-hmm. of Jesus, all these guys that I can reach out to when I was struggling. Um Clayton, another one of them, Kurt, like there's so many people through yeah. this church that I could talk to, that I could reach out to. And they may not even know that I was reaching out to them like that. Right. They may have just thought we were having a conversation or something, but yeah. I was, you know, getting something out of it. Yeah. And it was helping. And I was seeing I was seeing the changes being made. Um we rearranged everything in our life, um, down to and including our finances. And, you know, we've got the 10 acres now and we're, we're closer than we've been yet to breaking ground once we decide what we're exactly going to do to build a house. And yeah. like, it was a, it was a pipe dream at one time, but turning everything over to God, um, trusting what's being said to you when you're, when you're reading the Bible, mm-hmm. when you're, um, in the word, trusting that, that it's true, that it's that it's all there, that yeah. all the answers are in that book, you know, and, uh, and I also, I had to see a difference between 
you know, and, and before I even go into church and that kind of stuff, I still seen being Christian, being religious as one of those things where I wasn't proud to say it because yeah. because those words have been beaten down and been misused, mis, um, misunderstood, yeah. misrepresented, most importantly. Mm-hmm. And so Jen and I were talking about it. It's like, it, it's not being a Christian. It's not being religious. It's being a follower and a believer and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and knowing that he is the answer and he's like that's where you that's where you want your uh, your vision your goals like you focus there everything else just falls into place the umbrella effect man and we did that it took a long time um luckily Jen put up with a lot she's all the patience I've never had she her cup runneth over in patience yeah, yeah. um because by all means, she shouldn't have stayed with me. She right. shouldn't have been, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't a good husband. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't a good dad. Like I wasn't doing bad things. I just wasn't here. Right. So it wasn't that I was bad at those things. I was just not present like mm-hmm. I needed to be. Even when I was here, especially as a president, I was on the phone more often than not. I'd walk through the door and my phone would start ringing. I'd be on the phone, get off the phone. Hey, walk out of the bed. You know, because a lot of that club stuff, I'm in the back room with the door closed. Yeah. Walk out like nothing's happened. Hey, everybody. How's yeah. everybody? What's for dinner? Yeah. You know, we're out of family. Oh, my phone. You know, play with Healy, get up and go answer the phone. Yeah. And be on the phone for half an hour. Yeah. And it just, I don't know. I guess the the important part of my story kind of ends there. Um, well, yeah, it doesn't end still there. Being we're, still, we're still... Building on it. Um, and starting a podcast. Yeah, that's you know, true. That's I did do that. God using, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what you, you have gone through and everything else like that. Like every, every, It took so many, yeah, you know, good things, but a lot of bad things to get you to right here, right now doing this. And that's crazy. You can't, it's not just a coincidence. You know what I mean? Like For sure. It's insane to even think about. And like. The fact that, you know, sometime this week we're going to get stressed and anxious about something. And it's like, dude, just look at what God's already, you know, has already done. What makes you think, you know, he's not going to, deli- you know, deliver me from this valley. Yeah. You know, it's just, yeah, it's crazy. I mean. Yeah. And, and speaking of the podcast and this right here is the sole purpose that I wanted the podcast because when I was finally like trying to get my stuff, stuff together. I'm trying to fix everything that I'd broken. Um, it took listening to other people's mm-hmm. testimonies. Cause at that point you're like, you done screwed up. Yeah. You're, you know, it's, it's a steep hill to climb and it's really not though. You, I mean, I started listening to other, other people going to that soldier for Jesus. There's a lot of guys there who have stories. Oh my gosh. Um, listening to the Wednesday morning Bible studies um, and hearing testimonies there. And I mean, those came later, but I still knew some of them. Ahead of time, um, hearing that, that that you're never too far gone, and that you know, like Kyle said, Jesus doesn't love future you; He loves you now. Yeah. Um, it just took a lot of that to 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 really realize that I can just walk away from everything else, focused on Christ, and everything else falls into place. It does every single time. It's crazy. <laughs> it is, and our brains can't even comprehend it you know the amount of grace and love that it you know that it takes you know for that i mean like even if jen would have left you it's like 
God would not. Right. And that's the thing, like, towards, like, you could frustrate somebody so much towards, like, I can't take it anymore, I'm not here. But God's still there. Yeah. It's like, we'll never be able to have that amount of... I mean, you said she, she's a very patient person, and what she is, she's just like, you know, my wife, you know, thankfully that, you know, their love and, you know, when they had enough grace that God has, you know, provided them to, you know, to stay with us. But gosh, like, God will still stay. And it's like, okay, I can understand, like, well, why she left me. I was, you know, I was a bad dad, I was a bad husband and everything else. But God still wants you. Yeah. And it's like, that's insane to me, you know? It is. And in, in, in um, Luke chapter 15, the first, the first parable, uh, I think it's, I think it's verses one through seven, is the parable of um, the lamb mm-hmm. that he's going to leave the ninety nine to save the one, mm-hmm. and that hit so hard for me. Like that was a huge, that was, that was like the the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, you know, like that, that sparked it, and that was like, okay, that's my goal. And then hearing all these other stories, you're like, that's not a far off goal. That's not the light at the end of the tunnel. That's the light that's on you now. Yeah, exactly, dude. That's good. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's really good. So if you don't know that parable, read it. It's Luke chapter 15. I believe it's verses 1 through 7. It's just, the read the, the, just read that whole chapter. <laughs> the whole chapter yeah. is good. It's good. Yeah. It's good. You'll learn something. But, dude, thanks for coming and like dude, listen to me ramble on about a bunch of nonsense. I, dude, I, I literally loved it, man. Like Your story is, I mean, for one... Let's get Steven Spielberg on this. <laughs> I mean, gosh, you could just make a movie out of it. Too bad you can't start Patrick Swayze in for you. Yeah. But it'd be like Joe Pesci or something like that. <laughs> I was thinking Bobby from King of the Hill. <laughs> there we go. That's me. But no, this this was an awesome opportunity. I, I could listen to your story and just, as well as just talk to you for hours, you know, as... Um, anybody who knows, especially our wives, know how you and I are together. I mean, <laughs> yeah. we can um, really chop it up for a long time. But being able to have something as important and impactful as this, and now everybody's going to be able to hear um, the host's story, which is huge, you know, because it's like, this is why you have the fire that you have to do this podcast, yeah. you know. I think that's super important. And I didn't ask myself three questions ahead of time, but I will say... I've already said my um, my favorite verse. I think it was in Scott's episode. Can that I was... ask those three questions? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Okay. What was your favorite movie growing up? Uh, as a little kid, it was Backdraft. Okay. <laughs> my dad was a firefighter. Yeah. I got into the volunteer fire service for a little bit. The whole family was immersed yeah. in it at one point. Um, and then as a teenager, it became Caddyshack. Uh, yeah, but you're not a golfer. No. no, I'm not a golfer, but it's hilarious. It is. And Don't now, worry, chase. now it's it's a toss up between The Departed and Sicario. Okay. Yeah, I like it. Little lesser known movie Sicario, but it's still. A yeah, great I movie. mean, you were ready for that question. Yeah. <laughs> Beyond ready. I All just, I could say, you said, "What's your favorite?" And I was like, "Patrick Swayze." <laughs> <laughs> you didn't finish. I was like, um. What would you say, like, if you could, like, have your dream job, like, what would it be? Oh, man. It would either be, like, a maybe a motorcycle builder, like, building choppers, or a commercial diver. Like, commercial underwater. Yeah. Underwater welding. Underwater, yeah. you know. Not from a yeah. That kind of stuff. Yeah. All right, my last question. It kind of correlates with uh, Pastor Curtis's message today. What would you say your spiritual gift is? 
This is I a loaded question. Jen asked me before. Jen asked me earlier, and I said, "I, I don't know. I think it's it's probably listening to podcasts." You can't That's a, this. No, I think um, I really enjoyed my time as a coach. Yeah. Um, I kind of fall in line with like the the teacher coach, mm-hmm. um, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Although I like I, I could have never been an actual teacher. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I, I think it's that. I think it's the line of like teaching, coaching. Yeah. Um, Absolutely, man. Yeah, I've got I've got all that. kinds of useless information that yeah. I could drop on people. Boy, I mean, you know, other than KP, I mean, yeah, you were like, you know. And, I mean, I guess Scotty Hutchwell was one of my coaches too, but I'll say I got, I would like, I always looked up to you, like, in a way, like, you know, I didn't with the others, where it's like you were really good about building, like, that personal relationship in a way. Um, and just because it was orchestrated by God completely. For sure. You know what I mean? Like, like, with Coach KP, especially him, I mean, I worshiped that dude. I mean, you know, it was like, with that, like, I didn't worship you. But it's like it's KP false idols, false idols. I know it was, it was BC days. <laughs> well, but, but I look, you I look can't, at you can't even put me and and KP but, in the same category when it comes to wrestling. Like, but however, you I guys was a both, mediocre at best wrestler. That but loved. you gotta have both, man. You gotta have both. You know, you were just very impressionable, and like you understood like why you know a kid was either you know going through a hard time or whatever. And I honestly like learned a lot of that from you. Toward that's what I kind of I kind of applied. You know, whenever I was a coach and stuff, because it's like you gotta have both. You know, yeah, you you just do, and that's why. Hopefully, one day in the future, you know, KP and I can do it again. But I felt like it was a dynamic duo kind of thing. Yeah, and it was too. a good crew. Yeah, to where, yeah, yeah, but I learned a lot of that, you know, stuff from you. So family church wrestling. Boom! There you go. <laughs> All right, <laughs> elite. Yeah, but. Um, so I was gonna say my my favorite verse. I said it before. Mm-hmm. I think it was in Scott's. There was. Um, <laughs> now I'm not gonna be able to remember it because it's my favorite one. Yeah. Um, but I said it in, in Scott's, and it's um, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and dust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth, rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But because I already said that, yeah. when I was a little kid, for some reason I memorized First John 3. Yeah. And that is, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we shall be called the children of God, because that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that he did not know him. Dude, okay. All right. I this knew that one be, as a little kid for some reason. This guy be dropping bars. That's impressive, Jared. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. You can find us on uh, Spotify, the Almost Home Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcast, on Google Podcast, on Instagram at almosthome.podcast, on Facebook at the Almost Home.podcast. You can find me, Jared Stoquist on all that stuff and Jen Jennifer Stonequist you can find Gage um, by listening to the first episode bingo and he'll tell you again here Gage Lechner um, SMG Services LLC there you go throw that out there SMG Services sponsored by you need a fence you need a deck you need not sheetrock you You need a back rub I don't know (laughs) SMG Services got your back yep look them up look them up they do good work 
So, there you go. Everyone, thank you once again for listening. And I'm sorry I bored you with so much. But I still love you. And we will see you all next week.